0: Hey, Proof listeners, we've got a special treat for you today. We're doing things a little bit differently and sharing a new podcast we're super excited about. It's called Not Lost. We've all been cooped up at home the past two years. I don't know about you, but I'm itching to get back out there. In the meantime, Not Lost is the perfect escape. Each week, host Brendan Francis Newham takes you around the world, learning about new places by getting invited to a stranger's house for dinner. Yes, he attempts to get someone he doesn't know to invite him over to share a meal. From Montreal to Mexico City, he's joined by guests to drink, dance, and eat, learning as much about themselves as the places they visit. And like proof, it uses humor and curiosity to make you think differently about the world around you. In the episode you're about to hear, Brendan and his friend Danielle head to New Orleans and discover it's anything but the Big Easy. They venture to carousel bars, gospel choirs, voodoo readings, and more, and find themselves in deep conversations about the good life with jazz greats and gumbo chefs. Along the way, they're forced to face a pressing question. Is 48 hours really enough time to endure a vodka hurricane and host a dinner party? Okay, here's a preview. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. You can travel the world and hear more episodes of Not Lost wherever you get your podcasts.
1: What it takes to feed the soul, what it takes to feed the soul, it takes a lot. We feed the soul by feeding the spirit. When the spirit do things that we ask them to do, we have to pay them back. So there are certain things that the spirit can't do. Can't eat, can't drink, can't have sex, can't sing, and can't dance. So you do those things in honor when spirit does things for you. So let's begin.
2: This is Not Lost. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. Each episode, a friend and I travel somewhere, see the sights, and try to get a local to invite us to dinner. Awesome. Hey. I'm at Louis Armstrong International Airport, picking up my buddy, TV writer Daniel Henderson. She's just arrived from L.A., resplendent with new purple braids. Your hair looks amazing. Thanks. When did that happen? I follow yes. you on Instagram. This episode, New Orleans. And
3: I was on it for three days before I wanted to lose. I was losing my mind. What made you
2: want to lose As we drive into the city in our rental car, Danielle catches me up on her personal life. After years of being single, she recently joined a dating app.
3: I've never seen more chumps (laughs) back-to-back
2: in my life. No, I've done some dating apps and you really do start to get sad about humanity. It's like being at the mall too long or something. It's (gasps) Completely.
3: And then the other half of the dudes on there are like fucking paragliding from a helicopter while wearing water skis. Yeah, they're like in
2: Machu Picchu with roller yeah.
3: blades. Like. It's
2: unbelievable. <laughs> and I'm like,
3: can you calm down? How the hell are we going to make out if you're always at the gym? <laughs> or jumping out of a goddamn helicopter. A, yeah. a right to take
2: Let's play that game. So New Orleans. What do you yes. think when you think New Orleans?
3: I think swamps. Yeah. I think the trees and trays of pastry and the like, yeah. live music.
2: I'm the Jazz is what I'm assigned to. i the Jazz. We're going to learn how to make some gumbo, which yeah. would be awesome. Follow signs for New Orleans Business District. Yes,
3: stay right here.
2: And also, due to our success in Montreal, we have to do another dinner party.
3: <laughs> Ugh. Do not ask literally any black people at all in this city to throw you a dinner party. What? What? The slave connotation? Oh my god. Go I didn't ahead. even think of that. I'm a white guy who just dropped into town. Can you make me some dinner? Oh my god. Don't do it. Oh my god. I didn't even think about that. I didn't even think about that.
4: There was a wedding, um, a wedding second line walking down the street with a brass band behind them. That's naturally New Orleans. And I still got here only like 30 seconds late, so I feel good about that.
2: That's Maurice Carlos Ruffin, native New Orleanian and author of the novel We Cast a Shadow, a satire of racism in the South. I am so
4: happy to meet you both and share a drink.
2: We're having lunch at the Carousel Bar. It's known for being a past haunt of writers like Tennessee Williams and Hemingway, and also for having a bar like an actual carousel. That's right. Customers slowly rotate around like horses on poles, sipping Sazeracs. Fun, but if you drink too much, it means double the spins.
4: A lot of tourists come here, and it is like drink too much just for the sake of drinking too much, not because it's gonna feel good. We're the nation's release valve. I've heard repeatedly that Mardi Gras comes from this ancient French tradition of sort of France during the the sort of serf and peasant era when the king would say, you know, we've been really oppressing these people really hard. Let, let them party for a few days. And that way they won't like revolt and try and kill me. <laughs> Maybe when they stop doing that, that's when they cut his head off. I don't know.
3: You know what? We want to do this all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>.
4: <laughs> New Orleans, I know this city is contains multitudes. Can you kind of try to summarize it? Well, that is a tall order, but I mean, I would say that New Orleans is a town that never forgets its past. And that we have this great history of a culture that is built atop African culture. And it's all mixed with French culture, Spanish culture, and other cultures from around the world, including Vietnamese as well. There's a huge Vietnamese uh, population here as well. And um, we're good at storytelling, whether through songs or through poetry. And a few of us can write fiction as well, uh, (laughs) like myself. We're sitting next to this, this case that has pictures of Faulkner and Tennessee Williams, these old dead white men who, who found purchase here. Yeah, we mentioned Faulkner. Walker Percy. Truman Capote. You know, they all came through here, and there's a reason for that. I mean, you know if you're in mid-20th century America and everything is so structured and rigid, and you want to break out and have a chance to be your best version of yourself as an artist. Come down to this bohemian sort of paradise where almost anything goes. And so if you're Truman Capote, come down here. We're not gonna mess with you because you like men or, or you know, whatever the issue is. And so those things are a part of our backstory. There was a TV show a few years ago called Treme, and um, Kermit Ruffins was in it. And there's this famous scene where this like, producer or somebody's like, you know, you're one of the greatest uh, players of the, of the trumpet in, in the entire country. Don't you wanna like, go international one day? And he says, nah, man, I just wanna play in my backyard. That's the New Orleans ethos. It's not beating your competitors. It's encouraging an atmosphere of creativity. All right. Thank, Thank you. Appreciate it.
3: I'm kind of nervous to talk to people about Katrina here. You know, it's, it's hard to bring up the worst event of somebody's life, but then, it's also too important to ignore. Well, you know, I
4: I was maybe 26 or 27 when Katrina happened, and I probably had a lot of growing to do, and I can tell you that that experience matured me. We lost our house, we lost our cars, and then as the days and weeks passed, I looked back and recognized, you know, 80% of your city is underwater right now. It's all gone. You think, well, what's really important? You think it's the people that you love, and it's what you want to do with your life. I doubled down on being a writer. You know, I'm an attorney by, by trade, but I said, you know, Maurice, you, you're going to make a book one day, dude. It took some time, but I got it done, you know? Interesting. New Orleans has been destroyed like five times. The quarter burned down like twice. We had yellow fever, pandemics, multiple floods. Look around. We were not destroyed. Our culture is still here.
2: Maurice clearly has a huge appetite for his hometown, figuratively and literally.
4: Can we have some uh, some nuts?
2: After flagging down the waiter for Cajun bar nuts, he jokes that food is his spirit animal. Luckily, dinner parties are mine. I'm about to inquire as to whether Maurice could host us for one on Sunday, but Daniel's warning pops in my head. So instead, I invite him to our place on Sunday, and we'll be doing the cooking. We're learning how to make make uh, gumbo.
4: <laughs> so gumbo is I mean it's one of the most complex meals you can possibly make. It's the crabs and the fillet and the sauces and I can't make gumbo. Really? Well, there's a saying. I mean there's a literal saying. It's you don't eat everybody's gumbo.
2: <laughs> Thanks for your honesty. So um, you are gonna join us? Of course. Excellent. With our first dinner party guest secured, Danielle and I hopped back in the car and followed the Mississippi River into the swamplands and cotton fields northwest of the city. If we were going to take advantage of all that New Orleans had to offer, we'd first need to face the uncomfortable truth of where it all came from.
3: I've never been less excited (laughs) to go somewhere. (laughs) so much of this area is possible or it's here the history of it is slavery yeah and so on the one hand you can't deny that but on the other hand how do you why how and why are you celebrating
2: it yeah well that's what's crazy i didn't realize that weddings like sorority reunions and picnics happen on most of these plantations
3: i think every plantation there should be some regulations yeah. there where they have to have a certain amount of realistic history yeah. applied. So if you want to have your sorority reunion there, you're going to have to know that you're standing on the bones of black people. Yeah. It might be a little bit of downer. <laughs> might be a bummer while you're drinking your hurricanes,
2: but... <laughs> What's your family's relationship at all to slavery?
3: My... So my great, great, great grandparents were slaves in the Dutch West Indies. Oh my god. Yeah. Then they did come to the states, they came to America and lived in Virginia. And
2: so there was still slavery. Were they slaves in them. Virginia or yeah. were they f- wow. Throughout your life, have you it like I feel like that. there's a way you have to do, do, I'm I'm guessing as a black person in America, you have to pull your punches in con- conversations about race with white people in a sense because they couldn't not handle the truth but can't fully yeah. process it. Has that we've been your experience? A,
3: we've never had a conversation yeah. about what it's like for me to people yeah. in this yeah. country. Yeah. Like we talk about privilege and joke about stuff, but yeah. like I have it better than a lot of people in a lot of ways. You know, it's it's you know, I'm light skinned and like, you know, it's I can't pass, but like I definitely you know, white people have told me that I'm less threatening to them. <laughs> <laughs> for yeah. these reasons, which is fucking absurd, That's insane. but um, but yeah, I think that it's it is hard to have that conversation. It's not really like a pulling punches. It's just kind of like like nobody asks me and
2: nobody wants to hear about it. I mean, I, there I want to talk about something like that, but I think it's kind of like you get one gets scared to be yeah. like if I bring it up. Am I, like, am I bringing it up wrong? Am I stating the obvious? Like, there's just this charge that there's impulse to avoid it, and I know I can talk to you about anything, Mm -hmm. but I'm also, like, I feel like it's it's not your responsibility. Why why should it be every thoughtful, you know, black person's job to educate people? Yeah, like, it's not... And if you have any questions about white people...
3: I mean, endless. I'm here for you. Endless questions about whitery.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm glad that we're here doing this together. Me too. I really am. Plantation entrance. We're here. There's a little pond over here. At the end of a dirt road lies the Whitney, an old sugar plantation that's now a rather unique open-air museum. Joy, nice to
5: meet you. Hi, Danielle. Danielle.
2: We're meeting up with Director of Communications Dr. Joy Banner, Joy was born and raised a stone's throw from here, but left to get her PhD and teach African American studies in Texas for a few years before deciding to come back, much to her friend's surprise.
5: When I told them that I was moving back to work at a plantation, they were like, Joy, what's wrong? Do you need help? And I said, but no, this plantation is different because it focuses on the lives of the enslaved people. And they were like, Joy, that's, that's even worse. <laughs> What sets us apart from different plantations is this is a place of memory, right? This is a place of reverence. Notice that we don't start at the big house where the owning family live, right? Cause it's not about the big house, it's about slavery. So this uh, wall though has the names that we've collected so far of all the people that were enslaved In West African culture, a person's name tells us a little bit something about who they are. It's a connection to their history. So Samba, for example, is it means a second born son. Um, Musa, that's a Muslim name for Moses. So we know that Musa was probably Muslim. So once a person is enslaved, many of them are baptized and they get Christian names. Yesterday you were free. Today you you're belong. Henry. You, today you're Henry,
2: right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And then today you're property, right? right. Like today that's you're property. You belong no to someone the else. Of a human.
5: Um. But names are not recorded for the purpose of descendants going back and being able to know something about their ancestor, right? Oh, yeah, so wait,
3: we can't hop on ancestry.com. No. The way other people can. You no, know, it does not work that way for us, right? Now we're kind of crossing over this small land bridge over a, a stream
5: when I give the tours here I like stopping people over these spots because it reminds me of the swamps of Louisiana so the swamps rest behind the sugarcane fields that water is very important because when they would send the quote-unquote Negro dogs after you after you escape jump in the water and then they can't track your scent oh. mm-hmm. So this church was built 1868.
2: Look at the white heron over
5: there. Oh, yeah, he's wow. laughing. There's a white one and there's a blue one. And they um, hang out there? They hang out, and there could be a gator or two. It's warm enough Whoa. that they might come out today.
2: All right, let's mm-hmm. go so inside if there. if I don't
5: like this interview, folks, <laughs> uh, I can't can promise right that. <laughs> oh,
3: so as we're walking in, and we're seeing the pews on the other side, but we're also seeing these gorgeous statues of children. These
5: are called the Children of Whitney. Um, the artist is Woodrow Nash.
2: Why did he have an interest in having children rendered?
5: People are sensitive to children. Exactly. And, the, and children are innocent. So if you can enslave mm-hmm. a child, it, you know, again, it's, it evokes the brutality of the system, right?
3: It seems like they're, you know, they're oxidizing in such a way to also show not just the age of the statue itself, but the wear and tear on the children growing up in this system.
5: Mm-hmm. These, are, these are made out of clay, but oh. like you said, you know, they, these break yeah. sometimes. So You see a little chip here. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, reflective of what a human body would have been, you know, the, the type of trauma that it would have been sustaining.
3: Bowls. Like these, these, they look like structural art pieces almost, uh, but they're uh, useful on the plantation.
5: They were sugar kettles. So, yes, this is where you would process the sugar. Cane stalks were brought to the sugar mill and ground down into a pulp. Think about it, they're stirring thick sugar mixture, hot sugar mixtures. The lifespan of someone that comes to a Louisiana plantation and works in those fields is seven to ten years. Seven to ten years. They are working people from can't see to can't see. Even chopping down the sugar cane, they're having to go through very quickly with very sharp machete knives. So there are accidental, you know, amputations that happen. There are amputations that happen as they're feeding the sugar cane stalk through the grinder in the sugar house. The creepiest thing in this cabin to me. It is this square that is cut out in the wall right over the bed. Um, can any of you guess why that's there? Oh,
3: that's for the masters of whoever's in the house to watch mm-hmm. them having sex,
5: or? No,
2: no. Oh,
3: well, I'm that's perverted. Theory, I'm though. gross.
2: That was Danielle. <laughs> wow.
3: No, it was my fault for bringing you there, so. Oh, she was
2: there already.
5: <laughs>
3: um, well, that was super curious. What was yeah, so
5: there was a family living here until the 1980s so this is where they would have wired electricity and put in a switch
2: they lived here until the 80s
5: mm-hmm. okay. so when we talk about the plantation system and how slavery will end but the system doesn't after slavery where do you go You've been, you know, forced to work in the, in the sugarcane fields. That's all your skill is going to be. Sugar, sugar, sugar. And so, but now you're getting charged for, the, for renting the cabin. It's, it's wage work, so they're getting yeah. paid for it. But I, it's you're like not really getting paid. You yeah, right. Yeah. You're not getting enough to really move off of yeah. this plantation. But can you imagine, like, having a body that's riddled with pain and injury and scars for someone else's? Benefit and privilege? Can you imagine like looking in the mirror and seeing the wrinkles in your face and all, and knowing that has been for somebody else? You know? Yeah, don't talk about wrinkles. Nah, Naya didn't brought me there. I'm gonna get a wrinkle for somebody else. now nah, nah, I'm mad, y'all. I'm
4: mad. <laughs> Do
2: people? Come here thinking that this is maybe like a place where you look at furniture and have a mint julep. Have you encountered like, <laughs> like people who don't know what they're coming to? So,
5: so we we get we get a range, right? Yeah. There are people that have like these private luxury tours, and they're looking for a more luxurious experience. I have an inclination to say, yes, we can give you a special tour and not bring them out into the sugarcane field with those machetes <laughs> and make them chop, you know, all the way back to the swamp. So, like, here's your special luxury tour. Isn't it great?
6: <laughs> What's that
5: about? Oh, so, um... Throughout the plantation, we have bells to ring in honor of of the people that lived, died, and labored here. In their time, they would wake up at the tolling of that bell, knock off for lunch with that bell, and then come in from the fields at that bell. And so we use it as a way of, of remembering them.
2: Danielle and I are mostly silent on our drive back to New Orleans. We watch as the setting sun turns the swamp and sky incandescent shades of orange and purple. Gradually, the fields and Spanish moss are replaced by concrete and billboards as the highway turns to city streets. Dude, I'm game. Do it.
3: Whoa! Holy shit! The, fuck the hell was that? Was that? <laughs> Jesus. Oh, Kill somebody? I think it was like a bottle. Jesus. This pothole is so deep oh you can only God. see the top yes. of the cone oh they put in. Oh my God! Did you just drop the transmission?
7: <laughs> Hello. Hello. How are you
2: doing? We're in the French Quarter again, meeting up with Daniel's old friend, Becca Havens. So glad to see you. So- Becca's originally from New York City. But has lived in New Orleans for over a decade. She's also the daughter of the late great musician Richie Havens, a fixture of the local jazz fest. But I'm too shy to ever bring that up.
7: It's beautifully disordered. It's funky. It's run down. It's old. It's adorable and it's weird. And people walk around and don't wear pants and stuff. And it's just like, I just, it's awesome. Let's get off of Whoa, this. is a this major beaten path. So let's just get off it.
2: Since Bourbon Street is starting to pile up with drunk tourists. We decide to check out some of the quieter side streets.
7: I'm like loving this wrought iron. I, know.
2: I feel like I'm on a movie set right now.
7: It doesn't feel real. I mean, look at it. This is pretty dreamy.
2: The foggy neighborhood is lit up with gas lanterns, and the houses with their iron balconies are painted peach, white, and blue. I know New Orleans is singular, but have there been any Southern traits that you've taken you some time to adjust to, or just Racism. that you're- <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> That's Danielle crashing into a steel wall.
7: Oh my god! uh, Words people are comfortable using in my presence. I mean, it's just, if you look it up, like every major avenue here is (laughs) named after someone terrible. What are they going to do? Rename everything? Yes, yes, that's exactly (laughs) what you're supposed to do, is rename it all. (laughs) And people just really don't want to do that. The racism and guns. People just carry them like, hey, I got my gun.
3: Just in case. Yeah. Now tell me, what is the smell that we're smelling? Isn't
7: of? that something? Yeah, you can't. That's a powerful <laughs> funk. Is the podcast in smell-o-vision? Because <laughs> that's a, that's a funk. We just passed a drain.
3: Oh, love it. What is <laughs> this funk looking for?
2: Two eggnog daiquiris and a hurricane.
3: Cheers. Cheers to us. I was, I've been single for five years, almost six years. I refuse to engage with this culture. Men have in their bio, I brush my teeth, and I take a shower every day, as like the things you need to know about them. That's a very low bar.
2: you feel better that you're married now?
3: Yes. Straight men are in crisis. <laughs> and it's a trans- It's not easy to be us. If you think taking a shower is a beautiful thing to behold, you don't get laid. Yeah, you don't get laid.
7: I'm down with that plan. I mean, I don't have a horse in this race anymore. But, but damn it, I will withhold sex from every man in America to prove a feminist point. Oh, it's, it's bleak. It's
2: bleak. We talk about the woes of modern love for a little while longer. And then decide to call tonight. Reach to you but not before I ask Becca if she'll join us for our gathering on Sunday.
7: Will there be food?
2: We're making gumbo.
7: <gasps> that is no small undertaking. No, this no. is oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I'm going. <laughs> yes. Going.
6: Oh. Those are
2: the sounds uh, of a hug. Uh. <laughs> that went somewhere else. Eggnog daiquiris, carousel bars the hard realities of slavery. One day into our trip in the Big Easy, and this place is already proving to be more rich and complex than we'd ever imagined. And I'm starting to wonder if I've also underestimated the rich complexity of its signature dish. Drifting off to sleep, I'm haunted by the image of a pothole, the size of a kick drum, and is filled with gumbo.
1: go ahead and light some candles. Voodoo is like going to uh, your grandmother's house or going to the cemetery, talking to your dear relatives. You believe what your ancestors teach, you know. It's a little bit different than in Haiti, you know, which is ruled by men. But New Orleans voodoo is ruled by women. So if there's any guys out there listening, welcome to our world.
2: (laughs) Welcome. While I'm making my way across town to explore the city's Treme neighborhood, Danielle's at the Historical Voodoo Museum about to get a tarot reading from priestess Madame Cinnamon Black.
1: Tell me, what makes you want to have a reading? Let's see what the, what the nature of your calling is.
3: Um, I, I've been blocked from love. I've kind of blocked myself from love because I got divorced a few years ago. Okay. And um, I feel very guilty about that. Okay. And um, I'm curious to know if, because I've been kind of regenerating myself and taking a few years to care for myself, if I'm in a space now to let more
1: love into my life. Wow. Now, I just want to warn you, if these cards are not like what you want them to be, I can't change them. They are what they are. Okay. Please choose one card for me, stack. Be careful what card you choose. Now, remember, if you study long, you'll study wrong. You should always follow your first mind, because that's when your ancestors are speaking to you. Thank you. We have three cards on the table, which we call past, present, future. Which door would you like to open first? Past. My grandma used to say going into the past is like looking at old DVD movie. You always see something different. But in the end, it always ends up the same. Slowly, I'm going to pick up the car. Your car reveals to be the fire.
2: Prepare ye the way of the Lord. The of the Lord. While Danielle is exploring her past with Madame Cinnamon, singing calls out to me from the windows of St. Augustine Catholic Church. I go inside and meet someone who has their own way of talking to the spirits. Kathy Lewis has been in the church's choir for over 40 years. My mother always sang
8: to us when, she would be, when it was time for, for our nap. She would rock us like that. And she would start off singing the blues, you know, B.B. King or somebody. And the next thing you know, guide me over, great Jehovah. And the rest of it would wind up being church music. Mm. You don't know how the Holy Spirit is going to work in you. You could feel a gush of wind come in. You get chills. It's, It's an experience that you really, really can't describe, but it's a beautiful feeling, and you don't want to come down from it. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Prepare ye the way of the
1: Passing, glazing over the card slowly. Then over the hot candle, calling out the present. Mm-hmm.
4: Hmm.
1: It's the emperor card. The emperor is one who's in charge, mm-hmm. who knows what he wants. He's been through the struggle. He is one who is said to be the ruler in charge of his own destiny.
2: Honestly, I don't go to church much anymore. But as someone who listens to music, I know, I'm sorry, you slapped me. Don't apologize. <laughs> but, but music to me provides some side of spirituality. Like I feel when I listen to it, it feels like it articulates emotions I, wouldn't, I don't have just walking through the world normally.
8: If you listen to Rachel's, mm-hmm. it came from the church, from his church bringing. And, and it would accuse him of, of blasphemy. I got a woman way over town. That's from the old gospel song, I've got a savior. I got a savior. You know.
2: Do you think that's how God communicates with music?
8: He communicates in all kind of ways. Yeah. One time I was uh, working at the convent and I saw this little piece of paper. Something was on my mind, you know, bothering me. And this little piece, scrap of paper, fell out the trash basket and said, Be not afraid. If you're open and paying attention, he's going to communicate with you some kind of way.
1: There's only one card left the future. Some people want to know what's on the other side of the mountain. Others just say, whatever it is, leave it over there. Today, my dear, you get to find out. (laughs) Now, you know, I told you once before, I warned you. I will warn you again. If these cards are not like what you want them to be, I can't change them. Right. On the count of two, we're going to turn the cards over together at the same time. My heart is beating, this is scary. (laughs) Are you ready? One. And two. Oh my gosh. The Six of Cups. Shows a picture of a couple. Sitting compassionately, closely. The love in your life, not being like it's supposed to be, if you look at this picture here as I'm looking at it, you're not even looking at it. Right. Your mind is elsewhere on what you're doing. There is a man out there for you. He sees you, but you're just not looking at him.
2: What do you think New Orleans can teach us?
8: How we interact with one another. Sometimes it's it's just like one big neighborhood. Hey, darling, how you doing? You know, like one big family, one big community. From the high to the low. I might just look at you and say, why don't you come by my house and get some gumbo?
2: I'm and hoping you do say gumbo, that. You're reading my mind. You're reading my it. mind. I'm going to oh. take in a class.
8: When I made my first gumbo, I was a pure wreck. <laughs> a pure wreck. Why? Because gumbo is a, a dish that you build on. Mm. If you burn it, you got to throw that away and start all over oh, again. No. And,
2: you so, know. So would you try my gumbo?
6: <laughs> the duality of New Orleans is, you know, you party your brains out on Saturday, but you get up and go to church on Sunday morning. So, you know, it's that pleasure and pain, that you know, good and evil, uh, and music is the soundtrack for
2: both of those. You know, for both sides of that coin. While D strolls the quarter processing or voodoo reading. I'm nearby on the corner of Frenchman and Esplanade, hanging out with music journalist Keith Sperra.
6: James! why well, yeah, my boy? James Andrews, great trumpet player. Chris and Sean!
2: Keith is the church key that unlocks all of the music in this town. He used to be on a first-name basis with Fats Domino, which is fun if you think about it. Is music infused, like, in the education system, or is it just really coming from the ground up in this town, or...? Well, you know, New Orleans is one of those rare places where it's still cool to play a
6: trombone, you know? (laughs) So, I mean, yeah, so kids come up here, and, you know, the marching bands are considered cool. So you're out there with your kids, and you hear these brass bands that have this kind of beat. So all that music is kind of imprinted on your brain from an early age. ¶¶ there's a sense, I think, of authenticity, uh, you know, of being a New Orleans musician. The music just has a different feel. You know, you have to be here. You have to drink the questionable water and, <laughs> you know, soak in the humidity over the summers. I mean, there is, a, there is an intangible quality that you get from playing here. All right, so here we are at the Blue Nile.
4: Carbon. Carbon.
6: These guys are here doing a podcast for them. Oh, beautiful.
2: Everyone said we had to stop by and see you. Oh, thank you, glad to hear that thing. <laughs> yep, that's the Kermit Ruffins, the trumpet player Maurice told us about who's happy to play in his own backyard. Tonight, his backyard is the famous Blue Nile Club.
6: Real quick, what are you gonna play tonight for? We never know what we're gonna do. But we always start out with some New Orleans flavor
8: and then may do a little bit of hip hop and bebop in between, ending with some good old second
0: line. Well, we
6: already got our wristbands, we're
0: good oh to go, so we'll see. see you guys coming in? Kermit likes being
2: German. It doesn't take long for Kermit to cast a spell over the crowd. I start swaying along to the music, and before we know it, he's played two full sets, and it's 1 a.m. It doesn't feel like 1 a.m., though.
6: New Orleans is like a big casino. There are no clocks and no windows. Time escapes you, and that's how it works here. But I, on the other hand, am well aware of the time, because I know what time my kids are gonna be going up tomorrow morning. I will, I think,
2: call it a night here on Frenchman Street. All right, so tomorrow we're gonna throw a dinner party. Would you think about joining us? We're, We're learning how to make gumbo. You know, I am a little bit uneasy with the
6: idea of first-time gumbo makers. Um, And I think I have a family commitment. Very diplomatic of you. Very diplomatic. Well, good luck with it. Thank you.
2: As I head off into the early morning hours, my confidence in our gumbo enterprise is at an all-time low. Why was I so sure my cooking abilities were a match for a regional specialty? Because I'd once cooked spaghetti in Brooklyn? Who was I to think I could parachute into this legendary city and nail its signature dish? Was I no better than a sorority having a reunion at a plantation? I'm about to Google andouille sausage when I hear a familiar voice from the balcony of an upstairs bar. Yes, <laughs> I head up and find Danielle with a couple of kids in their 20s. Danielle, Danielle what has what happened over here?
3: Um, I saw this beautiful couple across the street. And I encourage them to kiss by shouting at them. like literally forced us, and then for some reason, the entire bar forced us to. I want to make sure that the youth of America know they should be making out as much as possible. You having fun? I'm having a fucking blast. I'm shouting at people from a balcony.
2: (laughs) Roman Cokes and tequila. I was the one who was going to get drunk this episode. I've
3: been making friends. Oh, wait, you're the drummer. You're so cute, you're like a cute little Where's Waldo. Hey, thanks. There's
4: a the guy walking by with a tuba. The guy just ran
3: out with a tuba. What is this hair? Look at you, you're like a beautiful lion. Get in there and have some fucking fun. Look at this lion face.
2: Whereas some people get aggressive when they drink. Tonight, Danielle just seems aggressively loving.
3: Angel face. Like, look at her, she's gorgeous. Beautiful people.
1: Look at this fucking lion.
3: You are gorgeous. I'll, all I'm here is to make sure that you're making out tonight. <laughs> What's your type? How That's can I help you? Need. I can't handle go, it. You have fun and wear condoms. Yeah. All
2: right, Dee. You do not need more babies. Oh, cute. Yeah. I'm, I'm signing off. I'm signing off. Don't you sign know. off. Come
3: here. OK, I'll do the hug. Cannot believe you're not walking down the street with someone. My girlfriend's at home. Call her and take her out for a drink. I'm
2: tired. I've just been working all night.
3: You're too young to be fucking tired. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of, yeah, I
2: think I gotta go sleep.
3: Oh, I have to pee so bad. What are you looking at? You wanna
1: go? No. <laughs>
2: It's Sunday, our last day in town. Danielle feels like death warmed over. So it's fitting that we're visiting one of the city's famous cemeteries.
8: This is St. Louis number 2. You go that way, that gate lock on that side, I keep them gate locked because they're dying to get in here.
2: (laughs) you said that before. You got that right. Y'all be careful. See you later. The crypts are above ground here because we're below sea level. Some are as high as 12 feet tall and have grass growing on top, waving in the wind. Sounds from the nearby highway ricochet through the gravestones.
3: I like this one because it says, Widow Marie Miglien. I just like that they have Widow in there, and she died at 100 years old. And At the
2: bottom it says, Regret. Regret. (laughs) Just Regret. I'm going to have Regret, but it's going to have an S. No matter what happens in my love
3: life, I'm 100% having widow Danielle Henderson put on.
2: <laughs> Years ago, an ex of mine, she had just broken up with a person she was gonna be married to. And I was like, I'm really sorry that happened. She's like, oh, it's just natural. She's like, men are afraid of death, so they're afraid to commit. Like, if you settle, that's one step closer to death once you like, this is where I live, this is my family. Then the next couple stops down the road, death as someone who is not committed and is a certain age. That phrase has stuck with me. I feel like New Orleans in some way makes the fundamentals of life more vivid, which are like pleasure and then the ultimate sadness.
3: I think that's a good way to put it. What is this? The three X's. That's a marker of a voodoo grave.
2: Oh. The voodoo reading? Mm. Do you think that is affecting your cemetery experience here now? Like,
3: Actually, if anything, it's making me a little bit more calm. Madam Cinnamon made it a point to tell me before she turned over a couple of the cards that um, you know, she can't control what the card says, but if it's something that I see that I don't like, that it's up to me to change it.
2: That's interesting. The first part sounds anxiety-producing. Like, I'm going to flip this, and it's going to say something that could be really eerie. But it also, she then affirms you by saying you have agency.
3: Yeah. It was really it was a very intense reading. We, I, I mean I keep saying that, but
2: so. I mean obviously it was an intense reading cuz I love you and I've party with you and I've never seen you party like you partied last night. That was a little bit off the off the rails.
3: <laughs> I made so many friends.
2: You did. You made this world better. You might have even made children. Like there may be people who may have gone home.
3: Ugh. I never want to be responsible for that. I'm sorry to anyone who might procreate as a result of my asking them to make out. <laughs>
2: Our time in the city's nearly over, but of course, there's one last thing we have to do.
6: Jordan. Brendan.
2: Locals here might not eat everybody's gumbo, but they definitely eat this guy's.
6: I think I think about it maybe like, as soon as I wake up, maybe it's the last thing I you know think about. Just waking up at the middle of the night like, oh my god, gumbo. <laughs> you know?
2: <laughs> Jordan Ruiz owns the famous Munch Factory restaurant. It's where Beyonce and her husband come when they want a bowl of the regional specialty. And now? He's gonna to try to teach the Beyonce and Mr. Beyonce of travel podcasting how to make it.
4: You need crabs,
6: you need shrimp. What I do for my gumbo, I make a dark room. You no, know, you need at least three or four hours for all the ingredients to actually come together.
3: Look, I had a hard night last night. I was drinking fiercely. Uh, oh, you got the
6: New
2: Orleans experience. Yeah, huh?
3: yeah. It's oh, a yeah, yeah. four-hour dish, man. Woo!
2: Can we just buy some gumbo from you and pass it off as ours?
6: That's fine. Do what you want. Do what you want. I love. It. Yeah. yeah. Thank
2: you so much. I'm going to get your gumbo going. Yeah. Get your For okay. having me. This is Becca. Hello. Becca, this is Maurice. Oh, Hi, Maurice. Very
7: nice to meet you.
2: Very nice to meet you too. Nice Thanks for joining you us. Know. You can partake of the gumbo we made today. Ooh.
7: Oh, I'm very excited. We made a dark
2: roux. The moment of truth finally arrives.
4: <laughs> mm. I mean you can tell gumbo by looking at it. You know, I saw? It, I was like, all right. Dark, okay. nice dark roux. Sizable amount of sausage. Yeah. That's how I like it. The meat has that sort of that coating on it, so it's perfect. Thank you. It
2: seemed like our dinner party guests were falling for our little ruse. Until <laughs> Wait, did you ride us out, Danielle?
7: Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> but it was such a cute story, haven't she? Not?
4: I mean you it's might switched. as well say you want to like make like glowfish sushi. <laughs> mm. it's all sitting there. It's good though.
2: <laughs> it is really good. This I, is award winning gumbo. It's really good.
4: So we got to get some world leaders together over gumbo. That would solve a lot of problems. You think so? Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> I like your optimism. We might not have learned how to make dark roux, but our trip to New Orleans did give us a new take on a perfect travel recipe. It goes like this. Select choice local ingredients, combine with curiosity and mirth, add a little voodoo and vodka hurricanes to taste, stew for 48 hours alongside good companionship, and Voila.
4: So my, my end note is that you know one day, hundreds of years from now, somebody in a submarine is gonna be floating around in the Gulf of Mexico and they're gonna see like the turrets of St. Louis Cathedral. And they'll go, what is this? What, what, what was this place? And then somebody will figure out, that was New Orleans. But there's no sadness in that because we created jazz, and we created a lot of other stuff that spread throughout the entire world. So that it could never really die. And uh, that's us.
2: On this episode of Not Lost was Crystal Duhame. The show was also produced and written by me, Brendan Francis Noonan. Our associate producer was Jackson Musker. Our story editor for this episode was Mira Bertwin Tonic. Note: I mispronounced her name the first couple episodes. That's the importance of an editor, right there. I apologize, Mira. The show was sound designed and mixed by Crystal Duhame and mastered by Hannes Brown. A big thanks to my friend and this episode's travel partner, Danielle Henderson. Not Lost is a co-production of Pushkin Industries, Topic Studios, and iHeartMedia. It was developed at Topic Studios. The show's executive producers are me, Christy Gressman, Maria Zuckerman, Lisa Langang, and Latal Malad. Production assistants on this episode also came from Jacob Smith, Amy Gaines, and Julia Barton. Our theme song was created by Alexis Georgopoulos, AKA ARP. And a big thank you to everyone who welcomed us in New Orleans. Dr. Joy Banner and Whitney Plantation, Becca Havens, Kathy Lewis at St. Augustine Church, Keith Spera, Kermit Ruffins and the Blue Nile Club, Priestess Madame Cinnamon Black and the Historical Voodoo Museum, and Maurice Carlos Ruffin. I recommend you grab yourself a copy of Maurice's books, The Ones Who Don't Say They Love You, and We Cast the Shadow. He's pretty darn good at what he does. And speaking of great, major thanks are in order to Jordan Ruiz and Munch Factory Restaurant for the truly delicious gumbo. Thanks for saving me for myself, guys. If you want to see pictures of where we went or learn about any of our guests, head to notlostshow.com. And if you are still listening to this show, you are fantastic. And you might probably have an extra moment to head to Apple Podcasts and rate and review us. It really does us a lot of good. Such a small thing, and it means a lot. Learn more about Topic Studios at TopicStudios.com. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Brendan Francis Newham. Until next time, bon voyage.
0: That was a preview of Not Loss from our friends at Pushkin Industries. You can listen to Not Loss wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Next week, we'll be doing something a little different again. We partnered with Hark Audio, the podcast curation app, to share some of our all-time favorite proof show moments. Come back next week to hear snippets about the wild origin story of Chartreuse, why the jello salad went out of style, and learn the surprising secrets of Old Bay seasoning. If you listen on Hark, you can jump from these curated moments into full episodes. They're stories from previous seasons so you can relive the best moments or hear them for the first time. Try it at harkaudio.com proof.